We're going to look this morning at Psalm 19. While you're opening up your Bibles and turning to Psalm 19, um, I shared the other week about um, about when I was talking about the things that we pray for and the things we ask for, and I, you know, jokingly shared about uh, you know. Uh, I don't know what vehicles I threw out, but I know one of them was a Lamborghini. So um, I just wanted to let you know that, that God still does answer prayer. I have my Lam- Lamborghini um, complete with orange stripe. So thank you very much, Caleb. Um, and there are there are things that you treasure as as a pastor and you hold on to. And, and during you, over the years, you get all kinds of different knickknacks and plaques and and you know nice decorations and things like that. And some things carry more weight than others, and that's not to be offensive one way or the other, but there are some things that carry more weight, you know, than others. So it will go in a special place, and it will be there for many years to remember that someone, you know, thought of, of that Lamborghini. Um, and so thank you very much, Caleb. Uh, very much appreciated. We are going to look at Psalm 19 and look at a subject this morning that I believe God wants us to hear as we continue to go through Lent and we continue to focus our lives on on where God wants us to be as we prepare our hearts for Easter. I'm going to be reading the entire chapter, all 14 verses. God's Word says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. They are much than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we open up our hearts and our minds to hear your word this morning. To not empty them, but to be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit renewing us. Continuing to transform us into your likeness. And we allow your word this morning to do that in our lives. Speak to us again this morning, Lord, as you do every day. Guide us in your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So if you if you buy a new car, if you buy a new car, um, now I don't know what the warranty is on a Lamborghini, but uh, if you buy a you know a Ford, you're going to get your basic three year thirty six thousand miles, and it sort of gets to that point when your odometer turns to thirty six thousand and one miles, something breaks. I mean it's it's almost like they have that rigged in the computer somehow uh, to, to happen in such a way. But if you buy a new applic- a new appliance for your kitchen, buy a new stove, and it comes with the one-year warranty and that one-year manufacturer warranty. Uh, put a new roof on your house. I don't know what the warranty is, but it, it, will last, <clears throat> it will last for 30 years. But then from there, the shingles will start to deteriorate. And everything that we have in life, everything that we have comes and it goes. And there's a reality that the appliances, the cars, the, the houses that we live in, they deteriorate. They need constant upkeep and constant fixing up. They definitely do not endure. And so the majority of everything that we possess um, is here today and it's gone tomorrow. And that's the process it goes through. Even the church. I mean, there's a reality if you look throughout this church, the same people that are sitting here right now are not the same people that were sitting here 100 years ago. I mean, first of all, the church wasn't sitting here 100 years ago, but there's a reality that you pick a church that's 200 years old, the same people that are sitting there today are not the same people that were sitting there 150 years ago. The people, even in the church, they change. Uh, we ourselves do not endure uh, and we are not eternal in the fact that in this physical body, in this physical earth, that we are meant to endure forever. But this morning, I want us to think about things that do endure forever. Um, I'm going to give you one of them, and then we're going to focus on the second one. One of the things that endure forever is when we look at faith. We look at the faith that has been given by God and continues to be passed on from generation to generation. Jude 1.3, when Jude is writing the book, and he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, so he's saying, look, I, I, I want to write to you about the salvation we share. I was eager to do that. And then he changes and he says, in Jude 1.3, he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Enduring faith. That's the faith we contend for. That's the faith that we fight for. It's the faith that we pass on to the next generation, to the next holy generation, and to the next holy generation. We're here today because someone has taken that faith and they've put it into us. And and God has given us that faith and we are trusted in Jesus as our Savior. And this is an enduring faith that continues to go on from generation to generation. Now I'm going to move to something else that endures forever. And it's the Word of God. It has been given, it is given by God, and we have the enduring word of God. Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. The word of God never will cease to have an impact. Acts 12, verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The word of God continues to spread and flourish. The Word of God is for all seasons and for all times and for all ages. The Word of God is the truth, nothing but the truth. Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. Right from the words of Jesus. Sanctify them by your your truth. Your Word is truth. The true Word of God spreads 
And here's where God's word continues to have an impact. Here's the impact that it has. And I want you to catch this through the enduring word. It's either embraced or it's despised. There's, there's, There's how the enduring word continues. It's either embraced or it's despised and rejected. The Bible has sold over 5 billion copies, 5 with a B, billion copies, and continues to be, year after year, the bestseller, year after year. There have been attempts throughout history to destroy God's word, and they have consistently failed. Now, Diocletian, he had actually boasted that he had extremely, had completely exterminated Christian writings from the face of the earth. Now that's Diocletian. It completely eliminated God's word from the earth. The next emperor came behind him was Constantine, and Constantine set a reward and said, I will pay anybody that can produce for me God's word. And within 25 hours, he had 50 copies of God's word. Diocletian thought he had succeeded, but God's word endures forever. And God's word will continue to ring out loud and clear. I want to read a quote for you about God's word. Men have died on the gallows for reading it and have been burned at the stake for owning it. Tortures that are too fiendish to describe have been visited upon delicate women and tender children for looking on its pages. Yet in spite of the strongest forces that hell could unleash and in the face of animosity of tyrants and despots, there are more Bibles in the earth today then there are copies of, of any other book ever written by the hand of man. Even today, even today, people risk their lives and risk their livelihoods to carry the Bible into countries where it is banned. Even in our own country, there is a desire to push and to silence the Word of God. It continues to be ridiculed, It continues to be scoffed at. It continues to be viewed as outdated. Yet we have in front of us the enduring word of God. And I read a story and I shared it in the past. And it blows me away that there are churches in the world. There are churches in the world where on Sunday somebody shows up and they have one chapter on a piece of paper out of the Bible. And they treasure it. And they hand it off to somebody else in the church. And that person gets to keep for one week that one chapter out of the Bible. And to read it and read it and read it and treasure it. And they can bring it back the next Sunday and then hand it off to somebody else. And they will risk their lives to hold on to that one chapter in the Bible. The enduring word of God. And that's what Psalm 19 is about. It tells us about the word of God. It tells us about what King David expresses for us in this psalm. A word that endures forever. And I want us to go through it. I'm going to pull out three things from this passage of scripture. For us to understand what God wants to say in our lives. How God speaks to us. And to understand what our response to God's enduring word can be. I'm going to start off by talking about the wordless message. God has brought from the world a wordless message. Now, I'm not talking about the the pages that are in this book. I'm talking about the pages that you see 
when you're sitting on your couch in the morning and the sun rises up in the sky. It's a wordless message that God has given for us. And verses 1 through 6 in Psalm 19 talk about this wordless message that is giving to, given to us. That creation itself tells us about a glorious God. Creation itself cries out and says, There is a creator, there is a God who cares about you, that has given you this nature and this beauty that is all around you. It's when you're sitting on your back porch on a nice, warm summer evening, we're all looking forward to this week with those nice warm temperatures. And you're sitting there and the sun is going down over the horizon and it just flashes with the beauty that only God could paint. And you look at it and you say, wow, God is good. It's a wordless message. It doesn't have to come with words. It comes with the nature, the beauty that is all around us. It's when you're this time of year and you're walking out your front door and you look over at your garden bed and there's flowers that are about a half an inch tall starting to poke out of the ground. Wow. God is good. And within weeks from now, there will be beautiful, beautiful flowers blooming all over the place. I apologize to all of those that have allergies. But God's beauty just comes forth all around us and God shines. We quickly gain an understanding that there's a powerful God through the beauty of nature around us and through night, through at night, the grandeur of the skies that light up above us and go out at night. We live in a place in the world where the skies for the most part are dark. And we get to understand and see the beauty of the skies. When I look up, I don't see a street light. I look up and I see the beauty of those stars that are above us. And it doesn't take but five minutes to get to a place that's really, really dark. And to see the glory of God shining over us. Luke 19.40, even Jesus says the stones would cry out praises for him if the people would, would be silent. Again, the wordless message coming to declare the glory of God. The power of the wordless message is described to us in Romans chapter 1. And this is where I want us to understand the power of the message, the wordless message that comes forth from nature. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. Did you understand what Paul wrote right there? That the glory of God from the creation of the world has been crying out about God's invisible qualities, crying out his eternal power, crying out his divine nature, the things that we see around us talk about a powerful, marvelous, glorious God. And we have this beauty of nature around us. And because of it, we can never stand before God and say, Oh, I didn't know there was a God. Paul makes it very clear that people are without an excuse. And God's nature continues to ring out with the glory of God. What may, may be known about God is very plain through the wordless message. When we look at this building, I want to give you an analogy on this. When we look at this building, I don't think one day that someone was driving through the parking lot and poof, here it was. I'm pretty sure you would agree with me on that. Someone had to pour this rubber floor. 
Someone had to put the boards together to build this platform and someone else covered it with carpet. Someone else ran electrical wires through the building and put in an HVAC system. Someone had to paint the walls and hang a drop ceiling and put lights in. All of those things we know were from the hand of a creator. A hand of a craftsman who put all of those things together. I could have someone run to the be- to the closet in the back of this gym and grab a basketball and have a basketball up here. And if you look at a basketball, it is very clear to you that the basketball just didn't go poof and create. It, it, a basketball is very simple. There's not a whole lot to it. But we know that a basketball was made by the hands of somebody. Somebody crafted that basketball. Somebody stamped that basketball. Somebody inflated that basketball with air. And I don't think you would ever argue with me that the basketballs just come out of nowhere. And when we look at the grandeur of the world that we have around us, we look at the complexities of our human body and our mind, and we see the beauty of a sunrise in the east, and the sun setting in the west, and the starry host. And this is what David is crying out to us in these verses and saying, it didn't just poof, come out of nowhere. It cries out that we have a glorious God and a God who cares about us and gave us the world for us to enjoy and to see. From a wordless message, King David continues on into the next verses, verses 7 through 11, and he moves from this wordless message into a written message. He tells us about the law of the Lord. Here are the things that he says. I'm not going to read all of them, but here are the things he talks about. He talks about the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord. All of those things. What do all of those things mean? They mean the word of the God, word of God, the precepts, the commands, the pre- everything that he talks about. It's the, the word of God that is in front of him. And with all of the, the description that he gives to us with the written message, He gives us a a beautiful table that's spread out for us to understand what the Word of God, the written Word of God, gives to us. I'm going to again summarize the things that he gives to us. He tells us that it's perfect, it's refreshing, it's trustworthy, it's giving wisdom, it's right, it's giving joy, it's giving radiance to to our lives, it's giving light to our lives, it's firm, it's righteous, it's precious, it's sweet. It's a message of warning, and it's offering a great reward. And those, those simple little verses hear how beautiful and wonderful the written message of God is. And the beautiful table that is set before us to understand when we go to the Word of God, it revives our soul. And what's fascinating, and what's fascinating, and I'm going to paint with a broad brush, and I know people don't always like when I paint with a broad brush, because maybe it doesn't apply to us. 82%, hear the number, 82%, that's four out of five people, four out of five who are sitting in church this morning that, that say they are a Christian, do not read this book except on Sunday. Now take that to heart. King David just told me of something. He just told me of something that is perfect, refreshing, trustworthy, giving wisdom, right, giving joy, radiant, giving light, firm, righteous, precious, sweet, a message of warning, and offering great reward. And it cries out to us to get that blessing in our life. 
And four out of five of us will not read it again until next Sunday when I put it up on the screen. We have the beautiful Word of God. Now I will say that some of us are living on, I'll call it doggy treats. They come in our email, and we open them up, and it's the verse of the day. How good and pleasant are those who live in unity, and whatever the verse of the day is, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on on your own understanding, and, and you read it, and you oh, that that's a wonderful, power, a powerful verse. And we're getting our verse a day, and get on, you know, BibleGateway.com, the verse of the day pops up, and you get your verse of the day, and that's good, that's good. But if you feed your dog every day one doggy treat, it will only be a couple of weeks before you're taking your dog to the veterinarian to find out why he's so emaciated. That dog wants a big bowl of food every day, if not two. And here we are as Christians, and we're trying to live on doggy treats, on, on fortune cookies. And God's word cries out to us and says, Come read me. Come read me. God's written word has been preserved for us. Think about this. This written word has been preserved for us by the blood of martyrs. People have given their lives so that way I can have this Bible sitting up here on this pulpit. So that I can open up my phone and have the Bible in front of me. People have given their lives for that. Shed their blood for that. And yet, quite often it becomes an afterthought in our religious experience. And we're famished, craving the words of God. There's self-disciplines in a Christian life. I want to, I want to give you the self-disciplines in a Christian life. And, and it's aside from this message. But self-disciplines in a Christian life, if you want to write these down, I don't have them up on the screen or anything, but if you want to write these down, I keep this note in my Bible. These are the self-disciplines of a Christian life. Self-denial. It means there's something else more important than me. And every once in a while, I need to deny myself so there's a blessing in someone else's life. Self-denial. The next one is prayer. Doesn't need an explanation. As Christians, we pray to God. And these are not in any, any order of importance at all. The third one is Bible reading. It's one of the, self, it's one of the disciplines of a Christian life. Self-denial, prayer, Bible reading. Church attendance. It's a self-discipline in the Christian life. This is where we express the gifts that God has given to us, church attendance. The fifth one is discipleship, growing and learning about God. And the sixth one is giving. All Christians should be giving. And I'm not up here to send a, set a percentage for you. That's, let God set a percentage in your heart. But Christians should be giving. And the seventh one is fasting. Self-denial, prayer, Bible reading, church attendance, discipleship, Giving, fasting. If you didn't catch those, see me afterwards. I have the paper. Those self-disciplines should be in every Christian's life. And one of them is Bible reading. Every day, every day, if we live in the electronic age and we're up on electronics, and even if you don't, you still go to your mailbox and you get letters and you get mail and you open it up. And if you get email and you open them up and you read them and you decide, do I really want to read that Groupon advertisement again? Swipe it, delete it, swipe it, delete it. Oh, here's one from the GE appliance guy that needs to come repair that. Oh, I better read that. And, and we read through emails and we constantly, we're reading them every day. We read them every day. 
We read stuff every day. We go to our mailbox. And if there's a letter from grandma in the mailbox, I guarantee you someone's going to pop it open and read it. I know from the Coys, they send a letter out. I don't know if everybody in the church gets a letter about their family, but they send one to me from Edgar and Joan Coy. And I read how their year went and all the beautiful things happening in their life. And I sit there and I read it because it's like, wow, there's some great things happening. And it shows up in my mailbox around Christmas time. And you read it. You don't just discard it. And yet we have God's word that sits in front of us. And again, we don't find ourselves opening up the pages. And it's imperative that we open it up and that we hear from God. In many of our homes, we have devotional books by many different authors, and I'm not going to dig on devotional books. And sometimes, every day, we find ourselves reading devotional books. But we need to go beyond devotional books. First Peter 2.2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk i want to tell you again this is not a dig on a devotional book but if a devotional book has replaced god's word in your life then you're not craving pure spiritual milk this is pure spiritual milk an adult a devotional book is adulterated spiritual milk what i give to you from this pulpit is adulterated spiritual milk. Other than, other than when I read the gospel, when I read the, the, the scriptures, from there I want you to test what I say and test it against the Bible and test it through the power of the Holy Spirit speaking into your life of what God wants to say to us. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The written word of God is given to reveal to us who God is, to reveal who we are, and in doing so, transforms us into his likeness. In the book of James, it points us to the word of God to do what it says. James 1, verse 25, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they want to do. What they do. How many people want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. Do you know what James says to be blessed? James says if you want to be blessed, then... That blessing is going to become coming from doing the Word of God. How do I do the Word of God? I have to read the Word of God, and then I will do the Word of God, and then I will be blessed. And that's in James 1, verse 25. We have a wordless message, a written message for us. And it leads us to a decision on our part. Will we walk in willing obedience? The last three verses of Psalm 19 speaks to David's reaction to the word of God, it should speak to our reaction to the word of God. And in verse 12, who can discern his errors? I think that points us backwards in the psalm. Points us back to what David's talking about. Who can discern his errors? How do I know what I say is right or wrong? How do I know what I'm doing is right or wrong? can't make that up on my own I have to go back to the truth who can discern his errors we go back to God's word 
We go back to the truth of God's word and we allow God's word to speak into our lives and to speak the truth into our lives. And then I can discern my errors and understand my errors. And I believe and I will, unless someone changes my mind at some point, I, I will continue to believe one of the reasons that we don't want to open up the book is because when I open up the book, God starts to speak to me. And then when God starts to speak to me and then I have to say, oh, Lord, please forgive me because I am erroneous in that way. And I've strayed from your path. Thus, it's easier for me to keep the book closed. Because if I keep the book closed, then I don't have to hear the word of God speaking into my life. I believe it's one of the reasons why our society today wants to silence the voice of God in their lives. Because when you open up the word of God and you have the voice of God ringing out, it says you're erroneous in your ways and you have to fix your ways and get back on the path of God. And I believe it's one of the main reasons, if not the reasons, reason. Because how can I discern my own errors? How can I discern my own errors? And I love the next line. Forgive my hidden faults. That's the beauty of God's word. And that, that's the joy of going into God's word. And that's the response we have to God's word is, yes, I'm going to open up the pages of God's word and it's going to speak to me. And it's going to point out to me ways that I can grow in my faith and ways that I am wrong. And when I hear what, that I am wrong, I can easily just go to God and say, forgive my hidden faults. They were so hidden from me, but Lord, forgive them. And he is just to forgive me of my sins and will do the same for you. And that's what God's word does for us. How do we know that God will forgive us? It's written in his word that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do I know that? It's in God's word. And he has promised that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for us. In willing obedience, we have the prayer of keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless then I will be blameless. In our willing obedience, how are we innocent of great transgression? We go back to the word of God to understand that we are innocent of great transgression. Psalm 130 verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. With you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. And we find it again in the word of God. It's our responsibility of believers in Jesus Christ to find ourselves in willing obedience. Here's, here's part of the hard story. Today we live in a, a world that anything goes. Anything is right. Truth is whatever we believe it to be. Truth becomes very relative. And what we find offensive, we want to destroy. And, and there's desire for what is good for me. And if it works for me, then it should work for everybody. And there's an attempt to silence any voice that hurts me or harms me, including the Word of God. And God's word cries out to us to go a different direction for us to be servants of God, to follow his ways and to follow the word of God, to let the word of God shine into our lives, to let the light of God shine into our lives, for us to get joy in our heart because of the word of God, to be radiant because of the word of God, to enjoy how sweet and precious the word of God is. And we walk in forgiveness. Then I will be blameless innocent of great transgression because when I know what's wrong in my life I can go to God and ask for, for, for forgiveness and enjoy his forgiveness so what do we do with all of this the psalm ends up with these words may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight O Lord my rock 
and my Redeemer. I have to stop and think, what is the meditation of my heart? What is the meditation of, of my heart? King David says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh God, what is the meditation of my heart? What is the meditation of your heart? What does your heart chew on? What does it think about? Where does it want to go? What does our heart want to say to us? Would we be able to say to God, the meditation of my heart, Lord, is pleasing in your sight. What would the meditation of our heart be this morning? Would it be that, God, you gave me a wordless message, a written message, and with this, I, I want to walk in willful obedience to you, God. This psalm concludes with the words, my rock and my redeemer. I want to give you my perception of where we're at, we are today. This is where I believe we are today. Not we as a church, but where we as a world, where we as a nation, where we as a town of Newville are today. We don't have a rock. We don't have a firm place to put our footing. Now, I'm not talking personally. I'm talking generally. That, that the world doesn't have a firm place to put their foot. And for a majority, there's no rock, there's no redeemer. For a majority, the rock in, is whatever way the wind blows this week. The events of this week, again, it just if you pay attention to the news, you just scratch your head and say, where in the world did this one come from? And the wind blows every week in a different direction, and it just keeps blowing. And what they thought was the rock today slips out from underneath. And then next week, well, let me try and get my footing on another rock, and it just slips out from underneath. We spent the entire year of 2020 trying to cleanse our world with Clorox wipes. We did. Everything got to be clean. Couldn't buy a Clorox wipe anywhere. Wash everything down. Wash your keyboards down. Wash the door handles down. Wash the seats down. Spray them. Disinfectant. It just, we were trying to cure the world of every piece of bacteria that existed in this whole world. And I don't know how many billions of gallons Clorox has, but boy, we, we poured it out everywhere. And we spent 2020 trying to cleanse the world of bacteria. I think in 2021, when we look back on 2021, we'll say we're trying to cleanse the world of, I don't know what, but we're trying to cleanse the world of something. Running around trying to sterilize our culture and speech and make it free from anything that is hurtful or, or damaging. But, but with it all, there's still no rock. And we sit here. We sit here with a God who loves us that gave us a wordless message. That gave us a written message. And gave us the Lord Jesus Christ, our solid rock, to stand on. That he died on the cross for our sins. And nothing that happens in 20, happened in 2020 and nothing that happens in 2021, no matter how many Clorox wipes you want to spread out, are going to wash away what Jesus did for you and me. And so our challenge is, what are we going to do in our own lives? You know, I can tell you, you, you invite me to a good buffet. Invite me to a good buffet. I'm there. Feel free. Call me at any time. I'm there. I enjoy a good buffet. I will sit with you for hours. I will. I will sit with you for hours. Once when I was really, really young, my brother-in-law and I got asked to leave a buffet. Honest to God, honest to God, truth. 
Back when Friendly's was in Carlisle, if you hit it at the right time, you could get breakfast and lunch. Breakfast and lunch off the same buffet. God sets before us a buffet of his truth. Am I going to live on a little bag of potato chips? When we're given God's word, quite often sometimes, it's Sunday morning. Do you know where my Bible is? I've got to take it to church. Sunday morning. Do you know where my Bible is? I can't remember where I put it last Sunday. I don't want our church to be there. I don't want the people that hear my voice today to be there. I want us to take God's word, his wordless message, his written message, and put it in our hearts. Put it in our hearts. That we can stand firm on the truth of God. In our chaotic world, in our chaotic world, we need to have the truth of God in our hearts. And we need to be bold. We need to be brave. We need to stand firm on that truth. And we need to, de- to declare the truth of God to a culture who needs to hear it. And then it's up to them. It's up to the culture around us to either accept it or reject it. But as Christians, we cannot be silent on the truth that God has given to us. And so as Christians, let's commit to digging into the Word of God and allowing God's Word to keep changing us and transforming us. That's what God's word is going to do. Is transform me and transform you into his likeness. And to keep declaring the power of God's word into a world that needs to hear it. It's sweeter than honey to my lips. And there's zero calories. Zero calories. Sweeter than honey to my lips. Taste it. It's truth. It endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us your wordless message. Oh, every day we see the beauty of the world around us. Glory. The glorious creation that you have created. So reminds us that we have a glorious God, a powerful God, a righteous God with the power of nature that's around us that cries out that we have a God, a God in heaven who is over us. And in your great mercy, you've given us your written word, the written message that we have. I thank you for it. I thank you that here in this church, we live in a, in a place where we can, we can go to Walmart and buy a Bible. We can go anywhere any store and find a Bible and start reading. We can go to a hotel, spend the night in a hotel and read a Bible that we find in the drawer. I thank you for that, Lord. This morning, Lord, may we find a commitment in our own hearts that we will pour your word into our lives, that we will allow that discipline of being a Christian to touch our lives. 
and I have hidden your word in my heart. Then I may not sin against God. May that be a truth that rings in our lives. May we hold on to that word and hold on to you. Give us a spiritual boldness, Lord. One of love, one of grace, but one that stands firm on the truth of your word. And we will continue to walk with you in the direction that you have for us. From all the way to her, from earth to heaven, Lord, guide us with your eye. I ask, Lord, that you bless us and that you keep us and your face shines upon us. Continue to give us peace, Lord. Continue to give us a hedge of protection around us. Lord, I ask for a special blessing for those who are going through some physical challenges right now. Again, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to bring healing into their bodies, peace to their souls. And as a church family, we continue to surround them with, with love and concern as they walk through these journeys in their life. Thank you, Lord, for your strength. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that your light shines in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful and glorious week.